Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. And I'm Tristan. And Elijah, where the heck are you? Where? And Elijah, if you aren't here, uh, where's like another person oh, where, or human oh, where being? Where is my Elijah now? The good Lord. Boys. Oh, boys, it's it's been oh, no, a minute Tristan, since you can I. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tristan. Tristan, Tristan was please. just uh, singing us a little oh, song. Where, oh, please. where is my Elijah now? The good Lord took him away from me. He isn't here, so I've got to be good so I can see my Elijah one day. Wow. Wow. What a guy. As, of course, is an adaptation of, uh, you know, that one song. Oh, yeah, yes, by that one yes. dude. Yeah, yeah. Where the yeah. car wreck yeah. and the girl dies. Yeah, yeah. Totally well, followed that. That's beautiful. Fellas, it's it's been a minute since I saw you. Um, and in the time since I saw you, uh, y'all talked about uh, Ben's friend Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Um, yes. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and I did a little something. I uh, I graduated from college. What a fella. Yeah, you did. What a Woo! big. Yeah. What a guy. A big brained man. You now, now have one more bachelor's degree than I do. And now I am still the youngest person on this podcast, but I am not an not adult. Oh. You're not what? what? Were you what? I'm not a not Okay, I'm I'm now graduated with college. I'm I'm now <laughs> yes. not the only what? one without a degree. Uh, uh. Were you saying you were not an adult before you graduated? I was saying I was not a not adult because I couldn't remember what the opposite of an adult was. Oh. A child. I, yeah, and yeah. I wasn't going to say that I'm not a child anymore because Doug, you I were no longer a child at the at the young ripe age of thirteen. You're you no longer a young man. You're no longer a student of 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 the the school. Well, Tristan, I think that goes into uh, philosophies about life because, you know, you I'm of the mindset that you are a student right, until the day right. you die because you're always learning something. Yeah, me too. Uh, to not be learning, to not be right. growing as a human being is to is uh, is to be stagnant, oh, yeah. and oh, to be yeah. stagnant is to fall backwards. Oh, yes. yes, that's what Confucius told me one day. <laughs> and this has been, you know, our new philosophy podcast. Uh, I... Hope you all enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next week yeah. on setting the scene. I've been I've been Doug. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh wait, hold on. I completely forgot. We watched a movie this week too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Doug, it's what did we the watch? end of the world as we know it, and, and I feel fine. Oh, and by the and way, I I feel b- perfectly fine. Before we say it, <laughs> I said the name of the movie wrong last week. I don't remember what I said, but I know I said I don't it wrong. Said either. I just listened to it. I'm Monday. gonna say it. It's Shaun of the Dead. We watched Shaun of the Dead this week. Yeah. This man stole my thunder. Um, How many times have you stole so my thunder on this podcast? <laughs> we watched <laughs> Shaun of the Dead this week. This week we watched Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that came out in 2004. Uh, directed and, I believe, written. I don't know why that's not showing up. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> But anywho, yeah, uh, <laughs> written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg, Kate Ashfield, Nick Frost, Lucy Davis, Dylan Moran, uh, Keir M- Millis, uh, Peter, I always get this guy's name wrong, Peter Serafinowicz. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, again, like I said, this movie came out in 2004, made on a budget of four four million pounds. Um, I, I got thrown off by the uh, by the different currency symbol right there, uh, but it's four million pounds uh, and grossed worldwide thirty million dollars, um, which is worth less than the pound. Uh, j- uh, just for the record, six point one million dollars U.S. dollars. Yes. Yeah. Um, so was anyway, that the case so, in two thousand four when this film was I, made? I don't know. Not accounting for inflation. I, um, I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, there are some ratings associated with this movie. Uh, this movie has a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know why, but it has a 4 out of 5 on Common Sense Media, and it has a 93% on Google. <laughs> we should, because we should Google... just stop worrying about Common Sense Media. I think it's clear that there is no common sense there. No, I think it's clear that they know that I don't like them, and therefore they are trying to uh, antagonize me. So, listeners, here... Here, for the first time, you are you are being told that setting the skein and Vitor Media are a fit, are a fit. I can't talk. Try again. Setting the skein and Vitor Media are officially going to war with Common Sense Media. Um, you could say that we are actively fighting against Common Sense. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that's the, that should be the new tagline of the podcast: setting the skein, fighting against Common Sense. I like mm, it. I love it. I love it. Mm. So, so fellas, no, what's this movie about? Okay, then. Um, so, Shaun of the Dead. It's about this guy. His name's Shaun. He... Was he of the dead? How sh- he uh, walks amongst the dead. It mm. should have been Shaun amongst the dead, but that doesn't really work because they're trying to... <laughs> they're trying to flash back to the classic film Dawn of the Dead yeah. uh, oh. by, uh, by George Romero. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So, it's about this guy named Sean. Sean is kind of in a rut in life, for being honest. Uh, he, uh, he has a friend who kind of drags him down, named Ed. He, uh, he loves going to this bar uh, called the Winchester, and he is currently losing his, uh, he's currently losing his girlfriend named Liz. Uh, he's not losing her to anyone in particular, just losing her to the fact that uh, he doesn't really have any ambition in life. It's okay, Sean. It's okay. We, we all get into ruts in life. Sean, I know that this movie came out uh, 17 years ago, but, you know, I just wanted you to know, man, it's, it's okay. It's it's okay. Um, Not to him. He's, he's 29. He's like, I gotta get out. I mean, yeah, hey, so, it ended up working out for him in the end. Yeah, oh, yeah, because, sure. you see, Sean's in a rut, and then Sean's rut is kind of covered up with the small little fact that a zombie apocalypse happens um yep. yeah and he he hmm. has to survive and not only survive but thrive i mean th- this man really breaks out of his shell uh for this apocalypse and i mean he he does a, a few uh, superhero heroic feats uh he this man leaps like a frog over a garden fence at one time <laughs> uh yeah so yeah i mean it's 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 pretty it's pretty wild. Yeah. Now uh, now we we should mention that this movie is actually um, it's actually the first in a uh, in a series of movies that Edgar Wright directed and wrote um, called the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, and basically, what it is is it's three movies, uh, each of them written and directed by Edgar Wright, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. 
pretty much everyone that's in Shaun of the Dead shows up in the other movies too. But the baseline um, baseline criteria for the Cornetto trilogy is that it stars uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And it consists of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, which is a crime drama, uh, and At the World's End, which I feel I can spoil. Um, it's about aliens who are trying to take over the world. Um, so yeah, none of the characters are the same, none of the settings are the same, it's just three movies written and directed by Edgar Wright starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, they're very funny, they're very British, and yeah, that that's the Cornetto trilogy. Hmm. Also, there are things that show up in every single movie, uh, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because Tristan mentioned the fence jumping thing. That fence jumping gag happens in every single movie. Oh. Yeah. So, Doug, uh, I have a question mm-hmm. for you. Uh, you mentioned yeah. that this is very British. Um, for people who may not quite understand what that means, can you explain that? Like, what do you mean when you say that film was very British? Like, obviously, you know, British people were involved, but I feel like it's a step further than that. Yeah, so humor is not just something that's subjective. It's something that changes and varies based on where you are in the world. Um, And also, I mean, it changes over time. British humor, though, has this unique ability that pretty much... It changes, it fluctuates, but it kind of stays fairly similar um, throughout its... uh, throughout time. Uh Uh, And what it usually is consistent of is very dry humor but it also is very situational irony based um it's it's very based it's very much so based in short setups short punchlines um which makes it feel very dry because there's not a lot of emphasis put into it it's not changing the fluctuation changing the volume of your voice and the inflection so that you know the punchline's coming it's all very, very monotone, and it, it makes it so that you have to really pay attention to what the actors and what the performers are saying so that you can catch the jokes. And I think that's also why British humor kind of gains this moniker of being quote-unquote smart humor mm-hmm. when, I mean, it really is just very short setups, short punchlines, and it makes it go very fast because you can fill a lot of jokes in a very short period of time. Um, whereas, uh, here in America, you know, we certainly have that, uh, but it's less situational irony and more just, I forget what the other kind of irony is, um, but it's the sense that here, humor is really based around this concept of breaking the norm, breaking the, the rules of society. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Tristan. Well, I, I think I have a good example. Um, just uh, think about awkward humor and think about, um, and a lot of especially newer American movies like uh, like Sonic the Hedgehog, a movie that we did on this podcast. Hmm. There are a lot of moments in that movie where someone says something that uh, that is weird or strange or off color, and the other characters pause and react to it. Like there, there's a there's a physical reaction in their face mm-hmm. to it, um, and that that's the funny part. Or there's a vocal reaction, and that's that's where you laugh. Like that's, it's just you know classic straight <clears throat> man 
uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. But then you look at British humor, and they may say the same kind of thing or the same sort of line, but like Doug said, it's very dry, so it just happens. It just keeps going. And, you know, you laugh at the thing, but there's already something else happening after that. Yeah. Uh, in, in American humor, you have to set up... You have to set up the punchline to the joke uh, so that you understand what norm is going to be broken. You know, you see something like... You see something like Key and Peel. Key and Peel has a sketch uh, where, uh, <clears throat> where Keegan... Um, is trying to take a hit out of uh, Jordan's bong, and um, and the whole joke is that Keegan actually took a hit like twenty minutes ago. He's just so he's just so high that he keeps forgetting that that he's taken a hit. Um, so the entire joke is just set up just so he can keep asking Jordan, hey, come on, let me get that, let me hit that. Why Why won't you let me hit? Do you think I'm really that weak? And then Jordan hits you with the punchline of, you took a hit 15 minutes ago, we've had the same conversation nine times already. Yeah. Um. So there's a, set, there's a longer setup. That's what the majority of the joke is, is setup. Whereas British humor, the setup happens in establishing the rules of the world, and then adding the absurd element to it so that it doesn't come across as absurd. Does that make sense? Yeah, the way uh, you explain it kind of makes me think of the rifle that's in Winchester. It's like they set it up at the beginning where, like, um, Ed is talking about how uh, the owner of the bar used to be, like, essentially a mafia hitman. And Simon Pegg's character was like, no way. And then they get back to the bar and... Uh, he pulls the rifle off, and surprise, surprise, it works, and it's loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So something like that. Um, it's all based in, we're not going to break the rules of this world, we're just going to add some small elements to it that that just make it um, slightly absurd. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that's that's British humor, and this film and the rest of the Cornetto trilogy are full of it. Um, yeah, and I really do think it works because it, it works to set Shaun of the Dead apart from other horror comedies that have been made because horror comedies usually are based around, we're either going to go really absurd with some of this humor and it's. It's not that it's going to fly over people's heads. It's that it's only going to appeal to a set demographic. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to go for very general humor and try to hit a wide audience, but the horror elements are going to suffer. Shaw of the Dead manages to ride the line between both of them in that it creates a fairly, a fairly uh, successful horror film while having a world and having characters in which you can add in absurdist elements um, and it makes it funny. So I think that's what really works to set this movie apart from other horror comedies. I know something has worked because, I mean, this movie's built itself a cult following. This movie is referenced in Phineas and Ferb and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost come on to voice their characters, like Sean and Ed, are in the episode. Oh. And they come on, and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost guest star as themselves. Wow. <laughs> like, that's... that's how 
popular this is. Although, also, Phineas and Ferb apparently is not current enough anymore. Because I said that, I mentioned it to a group of uh, kids at church, <laughs> like, I don't know, like a year ago. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? I mean, then pull something more recent. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, you have the unmade sequel of Shaun to the Dead on Broadway. Oh, yeah, that's right. You do. Mm-hmm. You do. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So, Shaun of the Dead. Good stuff. Big fan. <laughs> So let's talk about zombie films for a little bit because, you know, at its core, this is a zombie film. Uh, I don't think it's your stereotypical zombie film. Um, I believe that I read it was classified as a rom zom com. Mm. Um, That's accurate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how, how do y'all feel about that? <laughs> um, is that a common? Ter- has that been used for other movies? What is a no rom com? I think it was yeah. on the Wikipedia page. I saw that. No. Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I can I, think I don't of feel like zomcom is a super common thing. Romzoms though have happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking about mostly. Okay, I can think of one other movie that fits into a romzomcom, okay. and that's Warm Bodies. Yeah, with Nicholas Holt and I forget who the. Who I've the heard really good things about that, the... but I've never seen it. I have tried to watch it like two or three times, and it's not that it's not good. It's just I kind of zone out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I just kind of zone out uh, while watching it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I may be misremembering some because uh, it's been a while since I've seen this. But the movie that came to my mind was Happy Death Day. Uh, yeah, you're you're forgetting something. Okay. Yeah, you're you're forgetting something. Kind of. I, I remember it being funny. I don't remember if there was a romance. But... No, there is a oh, romance. there's also not zombies. <laughs> yeah, there's just not zombies. You got the rom-com, it's just not zombies. Sorry. I'm over here mixing horn zombie films. Don't mind me. No, you're good. You're good. <clears throat> so, so I, I have something. There was this book I got when I was in high school, and it was like the zombie survival guide, something mm-hmm. like that by author Brooks, I think his last name was Brooks. Um, easy to find. I'm sure if you just Google zombie survival guide, you'll find it. But um, it's really interesting because um, this movie is based off of the George Romero zombie, um, and where it's, they're just kind of slow and they're pretty easy to outmaneuver and they're pretty easy to kill. Fair, fair, I mean, you just hit it in the head, you know, you'll, you'll kill it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Ben's showing it on. Yeah, the, uh, the Zombie Survival Guide: Complete Protection from the Living Dead by Max Brooks. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's pretty cool. I mean, it, it it like it's it takes it seriously, and it's probably something useful if there were ever a zombie apocalypse. Um, I mean, but, assuming that the zombies we would get would be like those zombies. Yeah, yeah. But that I mean, that movie set the standard for zombies. Uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, so um, of course you know you have like all kinds now. The Walking Dead. You have all kinds of zombies. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it's a pretty standard type, and it just made me think of that book. I had that book back in the day. So, hmm. and so I personally haven't seen a ton of zombie films. Um, like I'm sitting here trying to think of ones I've seen. Yeah, all the ones I think of, it's like, wait a second, that's not actually a zombie film. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen the, of course, I've seen The Walking Dead. A lot of that show. I saw one random season somewhere in the middle. Um, because they did a viewing party at the BCM, and I was like, sure, why not? 
Interesting. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. I have we'll so many questions. <laughs> well, okay. they, um, the, the Walking Dead have, the zombies are different in that show. I think they're mm-hmm. fast, right? No. Or they they're at not. least run. Oh, maybe not. No, it's the Walking no. Dead, not the Running Dead. No, no, I mean, they do walk. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, all right. So, boys, it's been Matt, but, uh, time to oh. take on the mantle of the, uh, of the horror. The book nerd. reader? Oh. <laughs> the horror. Okay. The horror nerd. All right. Doug, all right. Doug's put his so, glasses on, so. So, it's, it's really interesting because the current understanding that our culture has about what a zombie is can all be traced back to one film, and it's 1968's Night of the Living Dead, written and directed by George A. Romero. Uh-huh. Before that, before that, zombies were not a thing. They were, but they were not the same as what we think of them now. Because before George A. Romero, the only really mentions of zombies were in the mid to late 19th century. Um, and they were subjects of, uh, I believe the I believe the way it was, is that a zombie was someone who was possessed uh, in Haitian mythology um, by some sort of voodoo uh, magic. Um so that's what zombie was before George A. Romero came along and made Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting that in Night of the Living Dead, they're not referred to as zombies. They're referred to as ghouls. But that became what we as a current culture and current society think mm-hmm. of as zombies. That's it. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. And just yeah, go ahead. Think of this. Um, it's actually uh, like through a few different zombie movies they make it a point not to call them zombies, and um, Shaun of the Dead actually plays on that a little bit. They say, you know, don't say the Z word, don't say the Z word. Yeah. Um, Z means yeah, and Z in British speak. It's <laughs> it's been it's been really interesting to see how various uh, film franchises or television shows. Um, interpret what a zombie is or what they identify it as because like walking dead um which those are very much so classic george a romero zombies um with the exception that in night of the living dead and i think this is the only uh living dead movie which that's the trilogy um that's the trilogy of Mm. or not trilogy because there's more than three of them but that's the series of movies that george a romero made um uh in Night of the Living Dead, uh, they actually can, like, use tools. Like, they have motor functions uh-huh. that they can use. So, yeah. But anyway, so Walking Dead, they call them walkers. And the reason for that is because Robert Kirkman has gone on record as saying that in that world, in that timeline, Night of the Living Dead was never made. Okay. So you never had zombies introduced into pop culture. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see how various groups have interpreted zombies um in their media uh now it gets to be very interesting because i think most people most people understand that there was a huge resurgence of zombie media in the two in the 2010s a lot of people could probably argue that it was a result of um that was the result of the walking dead gaining so much traction mm-hmm. that like that's that's what pushed a lot of it along mm-hmm. but 
like Ben pointed out before this podcast started, there was a s- small resurgence um, immediately following 9-11. And what's really cool is that if you look at zombies, um, all the way back to when they were introduced in Night of the Living Dead, zombies in particular have this very unique status of a subject in horror media that usually that usually is a used to depict the depravities of man and b is brought up in a time or immediately following a time of extreme distress so you look at something like 1968 we're in the middle of the vietnam war and we're also in the middle of the civil rights movement which is also why if you look at night of the living dead the fact that you have a black man as the protagonist um, who is ultimately killed because they think he might be a zombie, um, there's hugely suggestive uh, imagery in there which makes it um, which makes it that much more impactful. So you look at it there as zombies represent this, honestly, just kind of this wickedness of man to turn against itself to fight against itself, to ultimately bring its own destruction. Whereas if you look at something like Shaun of the Dead, immediately following a 9-11, um, a 9-11 type scenario, in which a lot of the world just feels, feels this depression, this global sense of depression and anxiety about the world around them. That's why you have so many people who are kind of like Sean at the beginning of this movie, just kind of shambling through life, because you can't really... Like, how do you respond to that? How do you go forward? Um, so, yeah, zombie media, zombie uh, literature and films and television shows are always really interesting to look at what the cultural dynamic is at the time of their release. Um, so that was about a 10-minute... Uh, rant. It was great. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think we needed to hear that, some of that stuff. Yeah, it was very useful. Absolutely. I I like I like horror. Yes, we know. I uh-huh. I, I love horror. Doug, That's d- why when we get to October, we let you pick them. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, say, I have great choices this year. Oh, I hope so. I have great well, choices. Well, we'll look, see about that. Look, so. look. <laughs> I tried to do just like straight up like horror movies with a couple like just weird ones thrown in don't worry guys we're gonna go full-on weird this year for uh oh, for setting the scream uh-huh. all right are we going with that apparently it's either setting the scream or setting the scare i don't know oh. let's go with setting the scream that one yeah. makes more sense yeah. which anyway, which means rhymes. that we have to start off with scream well, that's Anywho, that's another horror movie. That's that. several months in the in the future. Yes, Doug. Uh, by the time this releases, it might be June. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be June. Uh, won't be June. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not looking at the schedule. Who right knows? Um, I sure don't. Okay, I'm going to shut up about zombies now. Okay. Because um, there Let's are other things about... to talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, then we're going to uh... talk about a different movie then, because this is about zombies. <laughs> so. Well, let's talk about the director of this film, Edgar Wright. We've done an Edgar Wright film before. Uh, it was on the other version of this podcast, but we did. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, yeah. And fun fact, I think that's the only other Edgar Wright film I've seen. Yeah, he, he seems... I, mean, I think so, too, for me. That's the only other one I've seen. He has a very particular style. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about it, uh, other than it's it's just kind of like... 
I mean, from what I've seen, it's um, a lot of, sometimes the quick motions, um, you know, usage of like, um, I, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it other than quick cinematography. Um, quick editing. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, quick, lightning fast editing. That's true, yeah, quick editing. Mm. Yeah, so, um, Doug, um, you've seen, you've probably seen the other, have you seen all of his movies? I I have I have not seen all of his movies. Um, but you've seen a lot. I I've seen a lot of his movies. Yeah. Um, for stars, I've seen the Coronado trilogy. Um, right. Uh, and I have seen uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is my seventh favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's my sixth favorite movie of all time because <laughs> my seventh That's favorite a- movie of all time is Clue, and my eighth favorite movie of all time is Rocky Horror Picture Show because I backed back Tim Curry. Well, the the little bit of insight in my life. Um, the differences between Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim, because those are the two that I've seen, are, yeah. are, are obvious. You know, like, um, but the, yeah, the, the 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 style is this sort of like it's almost like in tune with with how our brains work in a way. Like, you know, Scott Pilgrim is very video gamey, but you know, and you see like things. Uh, pop up on screen and whatnot that doesn't happen in Shaun of the dead but it happens in a way like we process and information and the way that we think about our thoughts and ideas you know happens really fast in our head i Um, think that edgar wright is really good about making a film that looks like there's not a lot of thought behind it when in fact like you have to be so precise with it um Brian. I was just looking through his IMDb. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, he also uh, was one of the screenwriters for Ant Man. Um, yeah, yeah. He was originally going to direct Ant Man, mm-hmm. which I feel like also does a lot of. It doesn't look like it took a lot to do it, but if you watch it, it, it is a little bit more complex than it would seem. Yeah. Um. If if you look at if you look at sort of like. I'm not saying these are his three defining movies, but if you look at, like, probably his three biggest movies um, or properties, look at Shaun of the Dead or the Cornetto Trilogy, because they're all edited basically the same. Um, Cornetto Trilogy, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and then Baby Driver, they each have a similarity in the fact that every single edit, every single cut, doesn't just serve a sim- cinematic purpose um and advancing you from one scene to the next it serves a thematic purpose Mm -hmm. because what he really does manage to do is he manages to make the editing match the tone of the film which sounds kind of like uh what's the word kind of like an obvious thing that a director would do Mm -hmm. but it's so hard to get those two to match up like you can look at something like baby driver he literally matches the action of the movie to the soundtrack to the beats of the music every step every every shot that is taken every turn of the car matches with the flow of the music i mean Scott to an Pilgrim, extent we also see a little bit of that in this uh with oh, the fight scene to um the What's the name of that song? Don't stop me now. Don't stop me now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's great. It's almost that like was my a favorite precursor. scene from the movie. Oh, it's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> it's almost like that precursor to Baby Driver because mm. he takes 
a song with Don't Stop Me Now with a very clear beat, and he matches the action of the scene with that, um, with that beat. Like, it's, it's brilliant the way that he manages to, that he manages to take this element of filmmaking, which, by and large, a lot of people don't notice, which I think, I think is what a lot of people talk about, is that the mark of a good editor is you don't notice where the edits are in a movie, Mm-hmm. But he makes it almost impossible to ignore, which I think is really, really cool. And it really speaks to his talent as a filmmaker. I'm going to criticize him for this, because um, while he's really good as a filmmaker and a film editor, I actually don't know what editor he works with. I feel like he has to have some background in editing. Um, Probably. I but wonder. for all of his talent in that field... And a lot of his talent in writing, because he's actually a very good writer. Um, there is one thing. He really sucks at writing women. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives yeah. them nothing to do. I think the exception is Ramona Flowers, but he doesn't yeah, really he, get credit he for that. He doesn't is. get credit for that because that was based on a, pre-exist, on a pre-existing property. Because mm-hmm. um, you can look at, like, the female love interest in this, Liz, um... And also, is there a woman in... There's not a love interest in Hot Fuzz. There's like two women in Hot Fuzz. And then there's one love interest in um, in At the World's End. Um, and they're just horrible. Like, I mean, it's not like they're bad people or anything. It's just like they... You can tell in a movie where so much thought and effort has been put into every other part of the film that was the part he forgot about. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm just gonna dock him on that just because, like... I don't know. Be better. <laughs> Be- Fair. Edgar? Edgar, I know you listen to the podcast, buddy, but do better. Just just, just do better. Um, All right, well, when we I- get an email from Edgar Wright, I'm sending it to you. When you get an email from Edgar Wright, you send that right over to me because I want to <laughs> talk. Well... I think he did do pretty well, personally, because uh, this is a movie that made me cry. Um, mm. Twice, actually. That is not what I was expecting to hear. Um, that, yeah, you you said that, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Did it not make you guys cry? No. No. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think he's made a movie that has made me cry. <laughs> uh, I've, I've watched... I've watched a couple of his movies. I I probably cried during um uh uh what was it? I, I almost said Chuck. Uh, the Schumer. point at which Sean has to shoot his mom. No, I'm talking about a different movie. The other oh, one that I saw. Scott, Scott Pilgrim. You Scott cried Pilgrim. during Scott Pilgrim. I, think I did. During what scene? I don't remember. I just remember. I probably did. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I cried from laughter, possibly. <laughs> Oh yeah, because there's I may one, have to. there's one scene there. Okay, there is one scene in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World that it does not matter where I am, does not matter what I'm doing, I will lose it. And it's the scene where okay, I'm sorry, excuse me, we interrupt the Shaun of the Dead podcast to bring you a quick little note about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. There's a scene where Knives Chow. Yeah, um, where Knives walks up to the door, knocks on the door, and little. Uh, What's his first name? Uh, we'll call his call name his in the movie is his his name in the movie is Wallace Kieran Kieran uh, McCulkin. 
Macaul- Macaulay Culkin's brother. Whatever. Macaulay Culkin's Macaulay. brother. <laughs> Kieran Macaulay. Culkin. Kieran Culkin as Wallace opens the door and is like, hi, wa- hi, Knives. And Scott is right behind him. And Knives asks, is Scott here? And he just runs off frame. And Kieran's just like, you know what? And closes the door a little bit. And you see Scott jump through the window. <laughs> and Kieran's just like, he just left. And you flash to Knives' face and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and Scott's running behind her. And that scene is so stupid, and it's so simple, and it's an example of how good his editing is. Um, but I laugh hmm. uncontrollably every single time I see it. <laughs> oh, it's a good scene. So Tristan, okay, so Tristan, the... so you cried during Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. so I, I mean, I, I, it's not that I necessarily thought that I connected to Shaun. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I didn't think that I was him in that way, but... I connected in the way that you do as a human to other humans, you know? You guys ever felt that as a you know, fellow human being? Uh, no. connection to someone? All right. Well, the last uh, time I cried was August 7th of 2019. Well, sounds like we've got a hard ass here. Um, I'm a soft boy, um, so I will cry okay, at most things. I cry at most things, and I'm not sorry about it either. Um, so if you thought I was, I'm not. Uh, okay. I'll cry. I'll cry to look. Cry. If you if you look at me a certain way, it might make me tear up. Um, yeah, no, no, it's totally fine. So anyway, it's totally fine if you cry. I mean, look, there's a damaging stigma around the fact that men can't cry or should not cry, cry, and that's a that's a horrible thought process. Say, I like think Tristan you're said, all firm I've just got a heart cry. of stone. Um, yeah, sure. So I think we are all firm believers that men should, in fact, cry. Yeah, I mean, when you got it, don't just you know, don't just do it. To do it. Do it to do it if you want. Yep. Okay. Sure. I yeah, that's not what I meant. Ben, so Tristan, I tell us about the scenes. <laughs> well, I mean there's a scene where uh where, you know, his mom gets bitten by um hmm. by, by well, actually his mom's already been bitten by a zombie and she's been hiding it and then he finds out. So that whole part actually he finds out about it uh because his girlfriend finds out first and then he finds out and it's like it's heartbreaking. Like he, he is. It's really well acted. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, si- Simon Pegg really did that scene right. Um, and he was really emotional, and that got me emotional. And then there's a second part, um, where they're leaving his friend. The uh, I forget his name. Ed. Ed. Yeah. Ed. Ed. They're le- They're leaving Ed, and uh, he's been bitten pretty badly, and he's dying. And they just have a joke that it was a callback to something earlier in the movie that happens at the beginning. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the movie it's really stupid, and you kind of don't like Ed at the beginning because he's lazy. It's a fart joke. Um, it's literally a fart. It's a joke. fart joke. It's just a fart joke. And at mm-hmm. the end, it happens again, and you're and you come to like Ed because he's actually done something for the group at least. And you're like, man. And they have a <laughs> you know they're fr- they're like best friends. So. And they there's a moment where uh, he just puts his head on Ed's head. And it's like a really great shot, and it made me cry. Hmm. Um, and then you move on with the film. So, two great scenes, uh, well acted in both. I think Simon Pegg's really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't really seen him in much. I saw him in Star Trek as well. Yeah, uh, Star Wars. 
It's really all He's I've in seen. Star in Wars. It. He covered both of the big nerd franchises. Mm-hmm. What was he in Star Wars? He direct. Uh, he was Uncar Plot. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. He uh, so he also directed. He also directed um, Star Trek Beyond. Interesting. He's oh. a huge Star Trek nerd. I don't think I saw that one. And a really big fan of the Beastie Boys. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, well, but yeah. uh, I'm gonna go off book a little bit because I do want to talk about something. How do y'all feel yeah. about the ending of this movie? You know, normally I feel like when you get a zombie apocalypse movie, you know, it is the end of the world. But this one's very different in that they contain it. Like, you know, they um, end up using the zombies to do mundane tasks. Um, there's one lady who stayed married to her husband who was a zombie. How do y'all feel about that take on, I guess, a zombie apocalypse? Yeah. It's very I, different. I, I, I feel like it was... I mean, I don't know if if that happened in real life, we would actually be using them for game shows and stuff or whatever. But they would probably be a part of the society to some degree, even if just like research or like test subjects or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah. I think that's fairly realistic. I, I mean, I, if there was a zombie breakout, I, I really think the government, whatever, if it's, I mean, if it's a first world country the government can contain it mm-hmm. um i don't think it would be I, it could it could have the potential to be really bad like the last of us or something like that but i don't think it would be that bad if they get in real fast and do it and the zombie apocalypse lasted like a day and a half or maybe two days mm-hmm. and that was it in this in this um yeah things were back to normal in like six months like i mean they call it days that daisy or days Z. yeah yeah so maybe it was just like i mean it happens and they contain it without death right and the army rolls in or whatever unit rolls in and takes care of it and kills them and it's Mm -hmm. like yeah i mean i'm sure a ton of people died and it was obviously a a tragedy and awful Mm -hmm. and a huge trauma um but but they contained it i think that's realistic and uh yeah I mean, it, 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 as far as the story goes between um, Sean and his girlfriend Liz, it let, I mean, it lets them grow as character rather than just them dying. Mm-hmm. Um, it lets them grow a little bit as characters. However, I do think that if they did die and that was the end there and like they just had to kill themselves and, you know, they, they did that, they went mm-hmm. out that way. They still kind of came back round, either way. Yeah. Um, you saw that before they even found out about the the switch that led them out of the cellar. Mm-hmm. Um, they they completed their their love arc, I guess if you want to call it that, and got back to, you know, Sean became a man or whatever mm-hmm. Liz wanted him to be, I guess, motivated, helpful. I don't know. Um, and and Sean was able to prove that at least to himself that he could. Mm. Um, he he didn't save everyone, which was big for him, and that really hurt him. Mm. Um, but at the same time, he had some sort of peace about it. And I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me dissect that. I think it's worth mentioning. This is like this isn't the last one that do, that does this, but this is one of the last like big zombie fr- zombie films that comes out before 
we get into what I think I think could be fairly summarized as the fatalistic era of zombie uh, media, um, because that's kind of the the running uh, premise of most zombie media mm-hmm. before The Walking Dead is that there will be an end to this. There will be a day when everything is right in the world. What you see happen with The Walking Dead is it's a shift. And the point isn't that zombies represent the bat, the horrible aspects about man. It becomes zombies bring out the worst in people. Mm-hmm. So that you... You're not fighting against containing zombies. Zombies become more of a nuisance than anything. You're fighting against people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why things like The Walking Dead or um, Zombie Land or Last of Us, like that's why that's why those stand out as opposed to something like Shaun of the Dead, which is this very much so like there will be an end to this. Mm-hmm. We will get through it. There's hope in it still. Um, And I think it's really interesting to look at how hope in zombie media changes from Shaun of the Dead and from Night of the Living Dead, because the same thing happens. The hope changes from beating back and defeating that, that negative entity, that evilness, that wickedness. It changes from that is our hope that we will overcome. It changes into a hope that you can just survive, that you can outlast the people who are against you. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's really interesting to look at how how zombie media changes. Um, uh, do you think we'll see a shift I, back? I don't know. I mean, I mean. Um, Robert Kirkman re- recently brought uh, brought the Walking Dead comics to a close mm-hmm. uh, after I don't know how many years, but he recently ended them, um, and the ending was kind of halfway because it wasn't like we cured zombies; mm-hmm. it was like we built something better. Mm-hmm. We we're retaking civilization. Mm-hmm. It's less of like, it's less of like, of like, we just need to keep going, and it turns into, okay, we've made it, now how do we grow? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a lot of what the show's at right now, too. I haven't kept up with it absurdly well, but I've hit, like, the bullet points, and that's kind of where they're at right now, is how do we find stasis in this? Mm-hmm. How do we find continued prosperity here? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I will say, real quick, I don't love the ending of this. It's not that I don't love the fact that, like, everything's okay. It's that, and I feel like this is the same thing for all three of the Cornetto trilogy. I feel like there's not really an ending. It just stops. Yeah. Like, the problem... The problem is either fixed or the problem is ignored and the movie ends. That's my only problem with this trilogy. Yeah, really. It, it, it's very abrupt from like you do have that um like that heavy scene where they're leaving Ed and then um they take the lift up and the military shows up and within like seconds the film's over. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I think it would have helped to have a more fleshed out resolution. Because I, I mean, like, I feel like things do resolve. Like, uh, they end up living happily ever after, and also Ed is a zombie, but is still coherent enough to play video games with Sean, which is neat. I don't know if he was actually playing the game, though. I think he was just doing it. (laughs) Well, they said that zombies retain enough motor function that they can basically do what they did before they died. Oh, okay. Which is why they're still able to use the zombies for various tasks. Yeah, and since Ed only ever played video games, like... That's what he can do. He's still at least okay at it, yeah. He's just chained up in the shed, which... yeah. That raises all sorts of questions of humanity, but... Yeah, that really does. I mean, that leaves them in a really precarious state. Yeah, but that's a whole yeah, different conversation. Person. But a zombie's not a person. See, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I know. But, but, none of which, <laughs> well, well, one of which none of us are qualified to talk about. We, right. Well, who is? Who is qualified? A zombie? I don't know. A coroner? A, I don't know. A sociologist? <laughs> um, I mean, we talked about... A similar thing about what if is an AI considered a person like a robot? Uh, in when we did Bicentennial Man, uh, oh man, that's on our a last, throwback on our last podcast. Yeah, that was a throwback. Stone vehemently said, "No, they are not people." And I was like, no, "Well, I, I don't I... know. You got to watch that movie, and maybe you'll feel differently." I'd say. I, I mean, you that... can kind of look at it even in more modern media with um, the with Vision uh, in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you have, I think if you have coherent thought and a sense of self, then I think you qualify as like a person. But like multiple uh, forms of zombie media point out the part of the brain that is you, that is your personality and is your cognitive function, is no longer alive. Yeah. Um. So therefore, you cease being a person. Well, it depends on the zombie movie. Um. <laughs> Most of them are that way, but some of them are a little different. Like, some of them, it's more like you have a thing uh, that is, like, attached to your brain or a disease more so, where it's like, mm-hmm. you're still in there, but you can't do anything. You're, you're... Are you referring to The Last of Us and that it's fungus? Well, that's that's an example, but I, 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 I'm thinking about, like, uh, like, warm bodies, I guess, would be a, mm-hmm. a closer example to this. Yeah, no, that is true. I think they do cure it in warm bodies. Yeah. There's another movie that I saw recently where they cure it, and I can't remember what it was. Because if you're a zombie that is eating other zombies or eating people, you know, like, if you're... Say I'm a zombie and I eat you, and it turns you into a zombie. Well, you're eaten. Like, how are you going to even get around? It's like in The Walking mm-hmm. Dead where it's that uh, that body where it's just... She has no legs. She, she crawls around, you know? It's like... Mm. Like, what? Like So... Yeah? Okay, this has nothing to do with anything, but I do have an answer for that. Okay. In that uh, Robert Kirkman set up in the world of The Walking Dead, he set it up so that the walkers will continue to eat you until something else draws their attention. That's why there are some zombies that, like, are partially eaten, and there are some uh, people who just get eaten fully, and, like, there's nothing left. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think about you know, in some forms of media, zombies can be cured. Like, it may be a thing where yeah. a zombie can be cured. But take Shaun of the Dead. You know, some of these zombies have, like, like 
the first zombie they really encounter, she falls on like a stake in the ground and mm -hmm. impales her. And uh, that would kill someone, you know? So if she were ever cured, she would just be dead. She would just mm. be in pain, you know? Or I mean, already... I think you also have to consider, like, even if they, for all intents and purposes speaking, are dead, is it humane to still use their bodies for stuff? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say probably not. Um, but like someone like their roommate, you know, their more well-to-do roommate uh, at the <laughs> beginning of the movie, he becomes a zombie, and he, when he's in a shower, he's he's fine. Like, I guess he was bitten in the arm or his wrist, mm -hmm. but otherwise, he's not like ripped apart. You know, so if he was cured, potentially, it would he just have to take care of that wound on his hand, and he'd be fine. Yeah, the only thing is that now he has to deal with the wound that goes directly through his okay, brain. Okay, yeah, right. But before that, like if they just cure, if they just had a cure, you know. Yeah. So, here's my whole thing. No one knows. Here's my whole thing. No one knows. Right. Um, <laughs> There's no way to know. I'd say it's and, a completely hypothetical situation. Well, yeah, of course it is. But it's fun to And talk also, about. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like this is very similar to the conversation that we had when we first reviewed Solo in which there was a strong divide over whether or not a droid was considered a person. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Anyway. Good point. All good yeah. points, lads. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Shaun of the Dead, folks. Shaun of the Dead. Did he die? No. Did other people no. die? Yeah, there were dead. He was Shaun of the Dead, I guess. Maybe he represented yeah. the dead in Congress? I don't know. We'll find out. He was <laughs> amongst <laughs> the dead. He was a it, much like a man can be of the people. Sean was of the dead. Yeah. Um, don't know but if that's quite fellas, the same. fellas, we've all talked about this movie, so why don't we take a minute and let's go and score this sucker? So, if this is your first time listening, we's a pretty simple scale here at setting the skein. It's a scale of 1 to 100. A 100 means that it is a perfect film. It has absolutely no flaws. Uh, the scale cannot be broken. Doug. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, it also goes all the way down to a 1, which means that it is a steaming pile of turds. So, who would like to go first? I'll go first. Gentlemen, Tristan will go first. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was so easy for me to watch. I didn't mm -hmm. ever feel bored. I didn't feel like I needed to do, go do something else. Like, I was pretty well into it, and uh, it kept my attention. And it was an easy, like, an easy watch. It wasn't confusing. Like, it was very simple. And, uh, and it was funny. And the acting was was pretty good. Um, it, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't analyze it for anyone else, but um, but Simon Pegg. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie an 84. Um, I I really enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's like my top. You know, 30 or top 10 or anything like that. But I really enjoyed it, and I I, I could definitely watch this movie again just casually. Hmm. Okay, I'd say that's uh, about where uh, I was thinking. I was. Kind of somewhere between like a 78 and an 84. So I'm going to go kind of in the middle and give it an 81. Um, I think there are definitely some really good aspects to it. Um, I thought the beginning was a little boring, I guess. Um, for me, it didn't really pick up till the zombie apocalypse actually started. Um, but I think that's a good movie to just kind of have on in the background. Um, there's some really funny parts. Um, the scene in the bar with Don't Stop Me Now, easily best scene of the film. Um, oh yeah, eighty-one just kind of feels right. Well, hot diggity dang, boys! Um, I 
I'm going to give this movie the highest score of the three of us. Um, I'm going to give this movie an 85. I think it's a really solid film. Um, I recently watched the entire trilogy. I've, I'd seen Shaun of the Dead a couple times uh, before this, but I recently just watched the entire trilogy. I put it definitely in the middle of the trilogy, uh, beneath The World's End and over Hot Fuzz. I think I would give Hot Fuzz like a 78, and The World's End I would probably give like an 89, 89, 88. Um, but that doesn't really matter. I give this an eighty-five. Nice. Well, after plugging that into our patent patented scoreometer, uh, that gives us a final score of an eighty-three point three repeating. So it's a pretty solid movie. Cool. Give it a watch. Give it a watch. It's fun. It's a fun time. So it's on HBO Max. So uh, if you got that, you know, pause Mortal Kombat or whatever you're watching and. Turn it on, because it's awesome. You, uh, you, can, you can also get the entire trilogy, I think, for like $20 on iTunes or something, mm-hmm. which uh, subscription to HBO is $15, so I mean, you know, whatever suits your fancy. <laughs> there you go. Well, Doug, ask me a question. Hey, Ben, I, yeah. I got a question. Okay. What are we watching next week? Well, Doug, I am glad you asked. We are watching the 2001. We're actually watching another rom-com next week. Uh, but this mm. one does not have zombies as far as I'm uh. aware. Uh, but we are watching the 2001 film, The Wedding Planner. Uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Jennifer Lopez, and a whole bunch of other folks. Uh, be sure to tune in next week when we talk about that. Uh, we're going to have a special guest. It's going to be a great time. Because you know we love rom-coms. We do. They bring out the best in us. And right? the worst. Mostly the worst. It'll be fun. 99% the worst. Yeah, it'll be a fun time. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure to keep up with us on social media, at Vider Media. And until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. And I'm Tristan. And this has been Setting the Skein. Y'all have a great week.